Sal Berry. We're podcasters, so then that gives us license to complain about stuff. And Tim Parrish. And then I'm going to virtue signal and gatekeep and tell you you're wrong. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Berry and with me is Tim Parrish. And today we are going to get caught up on some hockey topics. We're also going to talk about some of the upcoming hockey cards that are coming out soon, including 2021-22 Skybox Metal Universe. Yes, you heard that right. We're going to talk about a 2021-22 set coming out in 2023, because these are crazy times that we live in. So, Tim, what's the latest and the greatest, my friend? I was doing well until you asked me that question and put me on the spot. I put you on the spot. Oh, God forbid I ask you to talk about things in a podcast. Yeah. You, you asked me how things are going, and that just threw, threw everything off. It's like, don't ask how my life is. I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about hockey. Most things that were going have long been forgotten, so... So yeah, we're a little little behind on our uh, on our podcasting. Um, so there's some older topics that I want to talk about. I know we're already in like not quite mid January, but we're definitely past the early January. But we still want to talk about some early January things. I want to talk about the Winter Classic because it's such a big freaking deal every year to me. I love it, even if I don't love it. I love it. I loved this year's Winter Classic. I loved the fact that I was able to watch it because sometimes. It has actually been on a day where I need to teach because they have they've had it on January 2nd before. And there have been times in my life where I had to teach on January 2nd because of one of the schools that I teach at. We like literally start right after the New Year's. So if it's on January 1, I can always see it. I remember there was one on January 2nd. And I remember like one of my students streaming it in class on their computer. And I was like looking over at their computer to see what was going on. But this time I got to watch it. I liked a lot about it. I'll just tell you some of the things that I thought were great about it. I thought the uniforms were great. I love the throwback uniforms that they wore. I love the pre and post game coverage on TNT. That's always top notch. And something like this. They took a long time. I mean, their pregame show was like 90 minutes. I loved it. I had it on. Even if I wasn't sitting watching it the whole time, I had it on. I was listening to it. I was enjoying it. Always a bonus when Gretzky's on. Fenway Park was a nice historic setting. I thought it was a great place to put a game. Now, I don't think baseball stadiums are necessarily great for hockey viewing. They're made to view baseball. You look at how small that hockey rink looks in the middle of a baseball field or a football field, and you go, okay, there's a lot of wasted space, but whatever. It's fun. It's an outdoor game. Definitely more fun to watch on TV. Well, I don't know. I've never been to one in person, so I can't say if they're more fun in person. But I will say that this year, the weather was very comfortable. There was nice weather. They were talking about how pleasant the weather was. And that's great because, you know what, I kind of get tired of, oh, let's talk about how freaking cold it is and how miserable we are. And, oh, look at these players huddled for warmth. And, you know, oh, they got a space heater by their toes so they can stay warm when they're on the bench. And that's great. You should have stuff like that. But it was nice that it was like 40, 50, whatever. And it was just kind of like a comfortable environment. So I I thought that actually made it kind of fun. I also thought it was kind of cool to see the Black Keys 
play during intermission. I mean, here's a band from this century. I mean, Belle Biv DeVoe, glad they did the anthem, but they're from the 90s, which is fine because I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember those guys. They were on MTV all the time, right? So it's kind of cool that they have stuff that us Gen Xers are like, oh, yeah, I feel nostalgic about that. But then they also have had a more contemporary artist. Although, I mean, I saw Black Keys play like 20 years ago when they opened for the White Stripes. So I don't know how contemporary they are, but to me, right? The only other thing I want to say is that this was the most watched regular season hockey game in the United States. It had an average of about 1.8 million viewers, but by the end, it had 2.1 million viewers watching the end of the game. So yeah, like I said, I got a lot of thoughts on that. And again, Great winter classic. Wow. I don't even know what I say to comment to that. That's you pretty much pretty much covered it all. No, no, no. See, this is where you gripe about the penguins losing for 10 minutes. And that that's your counterpoint. There's no counterpoint to that. They had no business winning that game. So therefore, I have nothing to complain about. You know, it'd be one thing if it was something controversial or something that flipped the game, but it wasn't. It was, just, it was a good game. It was a good game. game. Two good teams. The Bruins, the Bruins are hot. They're the best the team Bruins in the league. Are just, the Bruins are just, they're a cheat code right now. So, I mean, it's its essentially, uh, I mean, it is what it is. You know, the Penguins are, they have their issues. But I got no gripe with that. I thought the, I thought the game was good. I thought the environment was good. I thought the performances were good and the way they put on the whole event and even leading up to it and all of the things that they did prior. I thought it was really cool that they had uh, Jason Veritek and Tim Wakefield come out with Bobby Orr and had him like shoot the puck. Like instead of throwing out the first pitch, he threw out mm-hmm. the first puck mm-hmm. and he shot at the Veritek. I thought that was kind of cool. And man, where'd they dig Johnny Busick out of? Holy cow. Hey, looking good though for... You know, I forgot that he was still alive, but man, he's still kicking around. Seeing him standing next to Chara, though, that was crazy. Because, you, you know, know, he's older and he's hunched over, and there's Chara that's nine foot six. You got those numbers flipped six foot nine instead of nine foot six, but you were close. Yeah, you had the right compared, digits. Compared to that guy, he's nine foot six. You know, Chara did something that I thought was so classy. He was walking out with Busick, and then he slowed down and he stopped so that Busick could catch up with him. And I thought that was really nice. It's almost like he wanted to walk with him together. Like he didn't escort him. Like I'm hoping an old man across the street, like he didn't put out his arm, but you know, like when you're walking with somebody who's older than you and you like slow down so they could catch up and you're, you're kind of doing it more out of respect. I could tell that Chara was being very respectful of Busick. And I thought that was just such a wonderful thing. And just another reason why you got to love big Z because he keeps it real. You know what I mean? He's he's a big dude and he takes big strides, but he slowed down and he was like, you know, if he just kind of walked out on his own pace, he'd be out there. And then, you know, 20 seconds later, Busick would be there. And instead he just slowed down. And I thought that was so gentlemanly. It was, but also not to burst your bubble. If you notice, they announced Busick first and Char started walking. <laughs> no, I so, didn't. I, so I don't know if they had them lined up like, okay, we're going to say your name and then your name and your name. But like Charles started walking and then they said his name second. So I think that's probably why he may have heard it and then stopped. But uh, I like your reason better. Your reason is the better choice. 
I remember one Blackhawks game where they uh, brought out a lot of the like Blackhawks who had their numbers retired or pretty much every Blackhawk who had their number retired. And I remember like the last two they announced were Bobby Hull and Stan Mikita and a car drove out on the ice, a convertible, and the two of them were sitting in the back, kind of like on, on the top of it. And they were waving. And I don't know if because they thought, okay, these guys will be really slow to come out, or if they just thought, hey, it'd be pretty freaking cool to have Bobby Hall and Sam Makita come out in a convertible, because that's what they did. Just kind of funny how they did that. Next time, just have your oldest players come out in a sports car. I mean, maybe we'll get that in the next outdoor game, since it's uh, going to be in Carolina. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it'll have a NASCAR theme or something. We'll have guys coming out in sports cars or something. I don't know. Yeah, like I said, I I like the game. I enjoyed it. I had the same unfortunate situation, I guess, because I had to work that day. I had it streamed uh, on my TV in my office at work, and I had it off of my phone. It was hard to try to find it, though, because, you know, with many different places to pull it from, Nothing seemed to be working, but then I figured out you could download the uh, TNT app. Nice. And I put it through there and then threw it up on the screen. So I at least got to watch it while I was sitting there. But, well, that's uh, good that you figured out a way. Yeah. You know, like I said, it was entertaining. As a Penguins fan, I definitely would have liked to see a different result, but, you know, it is what it is. You mentioned the Black Keys performing. I thought it was kind of funny that they played... Uh, their song howling for you song that's like the coyotes goal song or <laughs> it, it was at one point for actually a while it was which i thought was interesting i'm like oh they're playing the coyotes goal song because the coyotes are not playing in this game but that's like one of their big songs so i guess. or maybe it's just a popular song like man you couldn't get andrew wk to come up here and play party hard or something come on well and that would fit because that's the penguins goal song but if andrew wk was going to play at a winter classic or a stadium series he'd probably have to play party hard because that was in the beer commercial that we all remember him from (laughs) yeah it was unfortunate though that chris letang couldn't play in that game you know with this being what everybody's considering like the swan song of the big three on that team and mm-hmm. you know with all of them getting older and everything else the fact that he couldn't play that was kind of sucked but he's got a lower body injury plus his dad had just died so yes he was out for multiple reasons in that case but yeah it was a good time you know the tnt guys are always somewhat entertaining i did like how both teams showed up in the baseball uniforms mm-hmm the Bruins showed up in Boston Red Sox uniforms, getting off the bus and walking in, and the Penguins were there all in their pirate uniforms. Interesting thing, though, is the Boston ones were kind of like the throwback ones. Mm-hmm. The Pirates uniforms weren't really throwback, sort of like the current Nike uniforms. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that was a planned thing or they just did it anyway. Don't know. That was interesting. I mean, it was something different, and I guess that's okay. But the but, uniforms are supposed to be throwback style, like for the, the actual hockey uniforms. I mean, right. the Penguins were the old Pirates uniforms, essentially. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Bruins had the old style with the, you know, the Bruin logo on them. Oh, yeah. What did you think about the announcement that the next Winter Classic will be in Seattle? Not surprised. No? No. How about their opponent? Also not surprised. Yeah. Yeah, the two 
most recent teams, the Seattle Kraken and the Vegas Golden Knights are going to play in the next Winter Classic. I mean, I'm sure there's like a dozen teams that feel like they're maybe more entitled or that they've been waiting forever. But, you know, these are the two newest babies, so they're going to get the new clothes. That's just how it is. When I heard the announcement, I was just sitting there going, yeah, big shocker there. Because it didn't surprise me in the least. But if the Kraken weren't doing as good as they are right now in their second year, you think they still get the Winter Classic? No. No, yeah. because you don't. nobody wants to watch two mediocre to bad teams in an outdoor game. I agree. Teams can go from bad to good in a season, but teams really don't go from great to terrible in a season. So you can kind of hedge your bets, right? Like, you know that, like, the Penguins are going to be middle of the pack to great. They're not a bottom feeder team, not as long as they have Crosby and Malkin and, you know, a lot of the other good players on their team that fill out their roster. But, you know, they have two superstar players. Now you look at the Blackhawks, they also have two superstar players, but they're not going to be in any Winter Classics anytime soon, right? But there was a while where they were in a Winter Classic and a Stadium Series, and they had another Winter Classic. They had the one in Wrigley Field, and then they had the one in Notre Dame. So they had like two Winter Classics and a couple of Stadium Series. So they were like, okay, well, they're a good team, so we're going to kind of keep them in. Same with like the Capitals. A lot of people were complaining, oh, the Capitals are in this a lot. Well, guess what? The Capitals are a good team. If you're going to put all your time and energy and focus on this outdoor game and you try to market it to people outside of hockey and try to make it like appealing like oh it's our january one game and and everybody should watch this and it's outdoor and it's such a spectacle you can't do that with two last place teams or a a mediocre team and a terrible team well maybe if the two teams were bad nobody would notice because they'd be on par with one another but definitely more exciting when it's great teams or Good teams, and, you know, those teams have been good this year. So what do you say to all the detractors out there that are like, oh, I'm so sick of these outdoor games. The novelty's worn off. I hate this. This is stupid. Because that was coming out in droves leading up to this game. What would you say to them? Well, my joke is, is that you have the Winter Classic, and then you have the Heritage Classic in Canada, and then you have two or three stadium series in the U.S. You have sometimes up to five outdoor games in a season. So the novelty has definitely worn off. And my joke is that in 2050, the NHL is going to play the indoor classic because all the games will be outdoors. So then at that point, they'll be like, oh, we need to do something novel and different. I know, let's have a game indoors, right? Has the novelty worn off? Absolutely. Does that make it a little less interesting? I don't know, because they always find new ways to make it interesting. I mean, okay, we play an outdoor game. Maybe it's interesting because you have 30,000 or 40,000 fans instead of the standard 20,000 that a hockey rink can accommodate. You have like these pregame musical acts and in-game musical acts and celebrity appearances and all these other things. So I don't really mind that it's another outdoor game. 
you know what? People are going to hate whatever they want to hate. They're going to hate the playoff format. They're going to hate that there's not enough Canadian teams in the playoffs. They're going to hate the outdoor games. They're going to hate the all-star games for how fans can vote for players or how fans can't vote for players. And, you know, we'll talk about a lot of that because we hate on some of that stuff too, because it is kind of fun. But Winter Classic, no hate for me. You know, as much as I can see what you're saying and by definition use the term novelty, has the novelty wore off? Well, yeah, sure, because you look at what that actually means and it's like, okay, how many times can you keep recycling the same thing over and over again before it's not new anymore? I get it. It doesn't have that shiny new car smell. But I like these events. I like any event where it takes the sport that I love and blows it up over the top. That's what I like. The only issue that I have, and this isn't so much with the Winter Classic itself, it's just with how it was, how it fortunately fell based off of the contracts. It wasn't on broadcast television. It was on cable. So if you're trying to grow the game and this is touted as your, you know, the Super Bowl of hockey games, even though it's just a regular season game, you would think you'd want that in front of more eyeballs. And the fact that it's on TNT, technically on a Monday, yes, after a holiday, technically the observed holiday, but tons of people work. And I get it. You can't go up against a day of the week that's owned by the NFL. I get it. Plus, with bowl games and everything else for NCAA, you're going to lose because no one's going to watch. I get that. Right. But put this on regular TV. I mean, seriously. And I understand why TNT had the rights for it this year. Obviously, if it rolls to ESPN next year, there's a chance it could be put on ABC. But at least for this year, that wasn't the case. So that was my only gripe with it. But I can honestly say that the pomp and circumstance of the whole thing and the ceremonies and the performances and musical guests and all of that kind of stuff. I love it. I think it's great. I think it adds more attention. I love the storylines and the buildup going into it. I love the fact that they're wearing these throwback uniforms and their storylines with all of that, even though it's played out kind of, I like all the talk about the guys growing up playing pond hockey and playing outdoors and this kind of stuff. I think that's all great. I eat all of that up. I guess I'm a sap when it comes to that. Quite all right. That's why you're a fan. Honestly, here's what I think should happen. And I know that it gets rolled into more of a primetime slot. Not so much anymore that it's three on three and they have to play so many games. But the All-Star game, Mm -hmm. I think no matter what, the All-Star game should be played somewhere outside. I would agree with that. I think I mentioned that in the past, actually. And we're going to talk about the All-Star game in a little bit. So we'll circle back on that. But I want to get to... um, the World Junior Championship, yes, which also wrapped up first week of January. So just to give a quick recap of the medal round, Canada won the gold medal with a 3-2 to two overtime win over Czechia, who gets the silver. Uh, the United States wins the bronze with an 8-7 to seven win over Sweden. And that was also in overtime. So you basically had two medal games that were settled in overtime. One was a three to two overtime win, and then the other one was an eight to seven blowout overtime win, but still overtime. No Russia at this tournament. Connor Bedard will have a lot to say about him in a minute, but you know, he was obviously the best player at the tournament, head and shoulders above everybody else. I will admit that once the US got knocked out and they could be no better than bronze, I didn't watch 
the games. And I now I wish I watched that bronze medal game because an eight to seven win in overtime, that's exciting. I mean, I get a one to nothing game can be just as, as exciting because it's tense. It's a nail biter, um, a white knuckler, whatever, whatever you want to call it. You're just it's so tense. And then the opposite being a blowout where it's exciting. It's still tense, but it's it's like, whoa, another goal, another goal, right? It's it's crazy. So I do regret not watching those games. I just had other stuff going on. And I was just like, eh, it's bronze medal. I'll catch the highlights. And then when I heard about that, I'm like, oh, man, I wish I had watched that. It's an entertaining series. I'm glad that the NHL Network shows all the games or yeah, they do because they the games never conflict with one another. I mean, there are days where I would literally just have the TV on all day and just have World Junior Hockey on, and I love it because for me as a teacher, I don't have to teach until after the new year, so I have that week off. So that's just me like schlepping around the house in my pajamas, throwing on a pot of coffee, turning on hockey and just having it on for 12 hours, you know, and I did just loving it. I didn't bow completely out. I was quite disappointed, but you know, it is what it is, but I had most of my eyes turned toward Connor Bedard because this guy, we've mentioned him before and we've Mm -hmm. talked about him before and He's been the consensus number one pick that's going to be coming up here. And, you know, all of the rumors and innuendo is, is, well, all the teams that are at the bottom are going to tank and try to get the best shot at the lottery ball so they can get the first pick and win Connor Bedard in the sweepstakes. And it's like, you hear about guys like this fairly often that get hyped up. But a lot of times those guys fizzle out and they disappear. And they might have solid careers later on, but it's really a rare case where you find a player like this. And I hate to use the term that gets thrown around so much, but a generational player. But this kid, good Lord, just watching him in this tournament. I mean, there was no one that could match up with this guy like none kids 17 years old and he's he was like a man amongst boys out there there was a play i know you saw this one but the one that's really stood out to me was that overtime goal in the semi-final game against slovakia where it was three on three he like skated in he shot the puck. I can't remember if it went wide or if the goalie stopped it, but then he circled back. He got the puck again. He beat all three players on the ice, all three skaters on the other team, rather, and then the goalie. And I mean, he just walked in and, and went around the three opposing players and then faked yeah, out them the all goalie. Out. Yeah, he deked them all out and backhanded it. I mean, it was just like, it was ridiculous. That was, it was completely one of- ridiculous. That was one of the nicest goals I've ever seen. And just to throw out a few quick stats, he had the most goals in the tournament with nine, the most assists in the tournament with 14. And surprise, surprise, if you have the most goals and the most assists, you also get the most points, which was 23 points. He was a plus 14 in the tournament. The guy who was second in scoring was Logan Cooley of the United States. 
And he had 14 points, seven goals and seven assists. Which is nothing in, to shake a stick in, at in a tournament. In seven games. Yeah. So if you get a point per game, that's awesome. If you get two points per game, that's amazing. And if you get three points per game, wow. What else can you say? I mean, well, I could say that the IAHF Directorate Award awarded him Best Forward. Media All-Star Team, he was named one of the three best forwards for the All-Star Team. And then the uh, MVP of the tournament, which... No brainer. I mean, yeah, because when you do all the things and your team wins the gold medal, it's a no brainer. Well, and the other thing, too, is he's he's at least appearing that he's very humble about it. And there's that persona of hockey players where they're this bland, repeating what's been told to them, you know, every day of their lives since they were three years old. And just, you know, regurgitating stuff and emphasizing things that are beyond the personal accolades. Right. And he does all of that. And no more so than at the end when after they had won and they're out there trying to interview him and talking about how he played and everything else. And he's like, I don't want to talk about me. This isn't about me. This is about my team. Right. About the other players out here and about what they did and what they we accomplished as a team. And. I get it. And that might not be the personality fixture that people want to see, but he's saying all the right things. He's doing all the right things. I don't want to compare him to a Sidney Crosby or a Connor McDavid, but it's really hard not to look at some of the greatest players ever, like a Gretzky, like a Lemieux, like a Crosby, like an Ovechkin, like a McDavid who was really good at the lower levels, really good at the professional levels, really good in international play, and basically elevated themselves and every team they ever played for to championships. It's kind of hard to not make that comparison with players like that, just watching what he's able to do. Now, I'm not saying he's going to be like the next of any of those guys, Man, it's really, really hard to not think he will. No, I mean, you have number one picks. You have the consensus number one pick. And then you have guys where it's like not even like a consensus. It's just a foregone conclusion. What I'm saying is like there have been times when the first overall pick, you go, well, he's the first overall pick, but maybe somebody else could be first overall. I mean, perfect example. Look at the last draft. Do you remember who was ranked number one? Who was ranked number one? Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't Yurash Slavkovsky. It was Shane Wright. And we've all seen what's happened to Shane Wright. Shane Wright played great in the tournament, in that World Junior Tournament. But has he contributed at all to the Kraken? He's not being given the opportunity to. And something about him, something about his game doesn't sit right with management, and they've pushed him down. And well, now he's actually going to be traded. I don't know if you heard that. I, I heard rumors of that. But, I mean, you think back to, like, when they thought that Nolan Patrick was going to be the first or overall pick, and he wasn't. Or you think of, like, a 30-year-old example when um, Mike Ricci was supposed to be the first overall pick in ninety. And he went to four, but Yager ended up being, Yager or Broder, take your pick, ended up being the best player. Anyway, so like you have that sometimes where you go, well, this guy could be number one, but if we don't get him, 
we'll take this other guy or he might fall to two or somebody might be better than him or whatever. And then you have like a draft with the Sidney Crosby where you just go, yeah, it's Sidney Crosby. That's the best player. Connor McDavid. I mean, you look any other year, Jack Eichel would have been the number one pick in the draft. Based on past performance. Sure. Well, that's what it's based on. I mean, that's, that's what it's always based on. I mean, look, go back to like 2010 and go down the list. I mean, yeah, we've got four picks of the Oilers and, in five years, but look at some of the names that are on there. Taylor Hall was picked, right? Mm-hmm. Decent player. He's had a long career. I mean, he's bounced around a bunch. I don't know that I would call him a generational style player. The Nuge was taken after him. Mm-hmm. Yakupov was taken after him. Is he even in the league anymore? I don't even know if he is. You know, McKinnon, great player. McKinnon's a great player. But you have like, Eckblad in there, McDavid, another great player, Austin Matthews. After that, it's a lot of younger guys. Nico Heischer, Rasmus Dahlin, who's having a great year this year. Mm-hmm. Jack Hughes, Lafreniere, Owen Power, then Slavkovsky. So it's like, is there potential there? Yeah. But the fact that we're having the question of, is there potential? Bedard's beyond that already. I think he's already well past that of whether he's going to have potential. I think it's just a matter of which team is going to get the fruits of this labor. He will be the type of player that flips that team's fortunes. Like Crosby, like Ovechkin, like Patrick Kane. Yeah, I would agree. He's definitely going to be way better than uh, Eric Johnson to the Blues pick in 2006. Right. Oh, is that Eric Johnson who went first overall? Yeah. Okay, I was going to ask if that was Jack Johnson, but I'm, you know, no. but I'm glad, <laughs> glad I didn't say that because uh-uh. wrong Johnson. No, because um, if it if it was, his parents would have took all his first round pick money anyway. Oh, leave him alone, Stanley Cup winner Jack Johnson. And I actually, have no problem with Jack Johnson. I like him, and he's been doing well for the Blackhawks, who've been a terrible team, and they've really been trying hard to win that counter Bedard sweepstakes, if you will. Let's talk about the All Star Game because they just announced the first 32 players, which actually I thought this was smart what they did this year. The NHL picked one player from each team, which makes sense. Fans still get to vote, but now they're voting for 12 players. Three from each. Yeah, that's fine. I like that. That's good math. That's that's better than that last man in. It was fun when it was the first man in, vote for the captains, right? And you had Patrick Kane and you had John Scott. I mean, which is still legendary all these years later. I know that was only like 2016, but I remember we did a whole podcast episode about the whole John Scott thing. And then we did another one about the all-star game. Yeah. They made rules this year that that can't happen. Right. Right. But when you got to vote for the team captain, it was kind of fun because that was just like the fan favorite getting voted in for that division. And then when it was just like, well, now we're going to pick everybody except the last four players. It's like, oh, it felt like a consolation prize. Like you get the home version of the game. You didn't win Wheel of Fortune, but here's the Wheel of Fortune board game to play at home with your friends and talk about how you didn't win the $25,000. So it's like, okay, great. I get to vote the last guy in the Pacific division. Do you even care at that point? Kind of. I mean, some people do, especially if they're trying to... 
if, like a, a local fan base or something that's trying to pack the ballot box, which inevitably happens every year. I like this idea. You know what? The NHL is going to keep experimenting and fine-tuning things until it works, and then once in a while they'll flip things around when they no longer work. I didn't get tired of the conference versus conference setting. I liked that. I liked the old East versus West or Campbell versus Wales, but I like the four teams and I like the three on three. I mean, that's really been the shot in the arm for the all-star game. It was necessary. I'm, I'm torn on this now. And I know we talked about it last year. I like the three on three, but as much as I like the three on three, I wish it would go back to East versus West. And I don't know how you would do that with a full conference roster and still do three on three without some guys just probably never getting on the ice unless you made a effort to set up those lines and just line shifted constantly, especially because the games are shorter, but then you wouldn't have as many teams. So you'd only have two teams. So maybe just scrap that whole idea. Anyway, I don't know. I wish they would go back to East versus West. Here's one of my pet peeves, right? You pick the all-star teams, you pick the rosters. Should every team get a representation? Yes. I don't agree with that. And I understand the idea behind it because it's an all-star game. But at the same time, they're taking all-star, meaning the stars, right? The stars of what? The stars of the teams? The stars of the league? What are what are we looking at? And if we're doing the stars of the league, absolutely, by no means, should every team get a representation if they don't have somebody. If we're talking about the stars of the teams, you can make a case for that, especially if you're trying to appeal to every single fan base, all 32 fan bases in the league. That's fine. But I don't agree with that because some of the best players in the league that play right now weren't taken in this group. And I know they have another shot with being voted in with the fan vote, but there's only three shots per team. So that leaves a lot of guys in the lurch that probably should be on these rosters. But here's my issue. Look at how the teams got rostered for Atlantic, just for the Atlantic and the Metro. There's not a single defenseman. The entire conference, both teams, not one defenseman. But are you trying to tell me there aren't any defensemen that are worthy of being all-stars? Because I will flip this over and I will show you that the Central Division has not one, not two, but three defensemen currently on their roster. And the Pacific has an additional one. Not saying none of them are worthy. I'm just throwing it out there that all of these teams, well, the teams in the West, have players that can fill a lineup. The teams in the East are missing D-men. And granted, people don't want to go out there in an all-star game and see stay-at-home defensemen. I get that. They want to see defensemen that can get up and get in the scoring. Great. Those are some of the guys that are in the West. Where are all the scoring defensemen in the East? Nowhere. They weren't elected to the all-star game. So I would hope that fans would take an approach of, we need to be logical here and fill out our lineup card and bring in at least a couple demons. That would be my hope. But again, this isn't Tim's all-star game. This is the NHL all-star game. I'll tell you what is missing from the old East versus West all-star game. They kept adding rules or more rosters 
spots, I should say, because it used to be 18 skaters and two goalies. And then there was some controversy the year that Ed Belfour wasn't picked in his rookie year because he was the best goalie at the middle of the season, but he didn't get picked for the All-Star game. And then the next year, they're like, well, you know, there should probably be three goalies. There's three periods. And, you know, with 10 or 11 teams per conference, you're going to have more than two great goalies. So maybe we should have three goalies. And then when you didn't have Guy Lafleur picked in the All-Star game for 91, it was like, ah, the commissioner is going to make picks now. They're going to do the, what they call the commissioner picks. Or back then it would have been president of the league. And the idea was to pick those guys who are in the twilight of their careers, like a Bobby Smith or a Guy Lafleur. So if we went back to those old all-star style rosters, last season we would have seen Jason Spiza in the all-star game, or we would have seen Joe Thornton or like Patty Marlowe. I think he retired a year or two ago, but you know what I mean? Like guys that are would normally not be in an all-star game, but by all means, are all-star caliber players and are going to be in the Hall of Fame. So it kind of gives them one last chance to do that. But like now, you're not going to get that with this current format. You get almost as many players. I mean, you get, you know, you get more goalies. You get four goalies per conference. And you get, what, 18 skaters per conference? So maybe a few less skaters, because you don't have the 18 plus the old guys on their way out, so to speak. There are some things that are kind of missing that would be kind of nice to come back. I would have liked to have seen Joe Thornton in an all-star game before he retired, but whatever. None of the teams have backup goalies, so unless they get voted in, there won't be any. Really? I mean, look, here's a perfect example. Okay, every team has to have a representative. So the Atlantic, they put in Linus Olmark, Makes the goalie sense. from the Bruins. Yeah. Does it? You would put him in over Pasternak if you had to pick one Bruin? Seriously? I wouldn't even touch that. This I mean, is what I would do. I'd pick the two goalies per division and then work my way back from there. I don't necessarily agree. Just like people aren't there to watch defensemen play, they're not there really to watch the goalies play either. Because, let's face it, these three-on-three the goalies get lit up. Yeah, but it's so, still an all-star game, so you put your all-star players in it. Okay, I, he's not the best player on Boston. How do you not put Pasternak in and then just hope a goalie gets picked? I, I it doesn't make sense to me. Goldmark's the best goalie in the league right now. I suppose they took Shosturkin for the Rangers. They took Shosturkin over... What would be the other option? Sorokin, maybe, for Metropolitan Division, eh. for the Islanders? Eh. Um, I, I don't know. I just, I think it's, I think it's weird. Seth Jones is the representative for the Blackhawks. Okay, that's kind of weird, but Patrick Kane is injured. Kane's hurt, I get it. But there's no one, there's Kane and then there's no one else? Other than okay. Seth Jones? Who would you put in? Max Domi? I mean, from the Hawks, you know, if we're if we're on one of these whirlwind tours of this guy could be on his way out the door, why not put Captain Sirius in there while we're at it? Because he hasn't been playing well. So when you have a three on three tournament, you need to put in your best guys. You know what? Even the best guy on a bad team is still a great player. 
maybe not as great as a Sidney Crosby or a Connor McDavid. I mean, look last year, Coyotes, I think it was Clayton Keller, right? He was having a hell of a season. He was on a terrible team. He's their pick this year, too. Well, are you surprised? He deserves to be there. And that's the thing is like. But does he? Is there anybody ahead of him that's not a Coyote that's not on any of these lists? I mean, you have 32 teams, 31 markets, because you get New York twice. So you need to have all that media coverage. If you said, okay, you know what? There's really nobody great on this team, that team, and that. You know, if you eliminate four or five teams, right there, you're cutting out five fan bases. You're cutting out five media markets. Good. That, get better. That, no. No. That's not what I say. This. Get this better. Is, this is supposed to be fun. This is kind of like the Winter Classic with the pageantry and the spectacle. You need that. This is what I don't like about it. I enjoy the All-Star Skills competitions. I think I enjoy those more than I enjoy the games. I'd agree. And pretty much the only ones that participate are the ones that are on the rosters. I would wholeheartedly be down for them to pick out the guys that are the best at those events that may not have made the all-star game, but are still good at those events, like hardest shot guys, you know, other than, you know, one or two guys that might be able to compete half of the guys on this list currently, they're not hard shot guys necessarily. I mean, yeah, Ovechkin has a great shot, but what are the odds? I mean, we're going to put down five bucks to say whether or not he shows up this time or takes the suspension. Same with Crosby. (laughs) You know, if neither of those guys show up, then what do you do? But I would be on board with them bringing in, quote unquote, ringers of the best guys. It'd be like saying if Char was still in the league, Char doesn't go to the All-Star game. But for the hardest shot, they still bring Char. I'm 100% on board with that. You know, fastest skater, Dylan Larkin's in the thing, so he can go. Rick David, he's in. He can go. You know, those are some of your super fast guys, but I just think it needs tweaked, but that's just me. Again, it's never going to be perfect. It's never going to make every single person happy, but it's the best we got for now. And every time it gets a little better in some ways and not better in other ways, but it's still fun. You know what I miss? I miss the uh, fantasy draft. Yeah, the fantasy draft was fun. fun. I will never forget Jonas Hiller in those dorky glasses. And I was just like, oh my God, I want to put that on a t-shirt. Now, if I put it on a t-shirt, nobody would get it. But at the time I wasn't making t-shirts, but just, <laughs> I don't know why that just, why I just found that so freaking hilarious. That and the Sedin twins being put on different teams. I mean, that was, that was some good times right there. Well, if you guys aren't happy out there with the rosters, then use your voice and go vote. Cast your vote for whoever you want as long as they're not a minor league player. Yeah, no third-string goalies either. They have to be on a roster. Okay, so let's talk some hockey cards, because we had a couple of sets announced, and that was it. Nothing really else about it. We got 22-23 Artifacts, 22-23 AHL, 22-23 CHL, and 22-23 Parkhurst Champions. So, of course... Not really surprised that any of these are coming out. I mean, Parker's Champions is is back again. It's like the McRib. It's out for a limited time, then it goes away, then comes back like five years later or whatever. Uh, 
yeah, Parker's champions to McRib of hockey cards. Am I right? I don't know if I, I don't know if I'd go that far, but it's certainly a different incarnation than what people are used to with the Parkers the last few years being the mostly retail product and doubled over onto EPAC. When I thought it was going to be completely retro inspired, like it was previously, and I'm not so sure about that when you look at what's in there. It may have a retro style and feel to it in the design, but the checklist. Well, there isn't a checklist, but at least the images, I guess mm-hmm. the mock-ups and all of that kind of mm-hmm. stuff, it's all modern players. Ooh, boo. Use so. the name Parkhurst. You should, I mean, if you use Parkhurst and Champions, I mean, I don't know. Parkhurst has been new players and it's been old players. And even in the 90s, it was new players and old players, you know, and we think of it as like a Parkhurst set can kind of go both ways could be a set of current players or a set of retired greats and neither of those would be wrong but yeah i remember parker's champions from what was that like 15 16 or something like that it was all retired players wasn't it or 14 15 or somewhere around there the last parker's champion set that was actually out was 11 12 oh that long ago okay yeah oh man that's like 10 years ago. Wow. Yeah. And that was the set that had kind of that greenish fade in tint around the edging. Yeah. I love that the, set. The gold brownish bronze type border piece for the names and all of that. It had all the features with like the renditions that looked like the masterpiece cards and it had the wire photos mixed in and the little minis and all of that. But it was all a retired star set. And prior to that, Parker's set was the, what was it? 2006. Oh, six, yeah, oh, seven. Which, which was all retired players as yes. well. So I see Parker's Champions, and my first thought is, oh, cool. We're doing another retro theme with retro players. Oh, wait a minute. It's retro themed, but it's modern players. So basically, we get another retro throwback type set, but with the it'll be a modern checklist. And I didn't really see anywhere on there where there would be a set that would be conducive to maybe the older players, unless of course they have a legends, maybe a section, a subset within itself of maybe retired players, hall of famers, that kind of thing. So maybe we'll get that. There's obviously not a checklist out yet because it's too early because they just made the announcement, but there's some interesting things like there's like a fifties flashback, design there's a 5152 parkhurst retro design nice there's some a bunch of different die cuts like i saw one card it was a jukebox they're called jukebox heroes and it's basically a whirlitzer with the player superimposed on top of it (laughs) a set called tomorrow's riches which shows a player like popping out of a treasure chest i guess uh so that might be interesting yeah so there's going to be all sorts of inserts and and whatnot in there so a bunch of different interesting things they did show uh, maddie benier's uh rookie autograph so there will be autographs there will be relic cards so i think with this being what it is this is going to be a little more than uh, a retail box they did announce blasters so you will find it in retail stores but the big draw is going to be the hobby boxes i think because there's one autograph or memorabilia card in every box, plus an additional hit. So you're going to get two of something. 
and then there's going to be all sorts of short prints and and inserts and everything else so all said and done i believe there's 20 different insert cards that you'll be able to pull out of a hobby box plus the two hits so we'll see what the price point is once it gets closer to that time now let's talk about the uh demise of nfts which i don't think this surprises either of us we don't want to go as far as say it's the complete demise of it but it definitely is not a good outlook on the way things have gone because i mean honestly when's the last time you heard somebody talk about nfts only when the word crash is immediately after it, like yeah. NFTs crashing in popularity or the crash of NFTs or whatever. Yeah, if this if this was this date, 2022, we'd be talking about NFTs still to death. If this was this date, 2021, absolutely. Well, you look at what's going on with cryptocurrency when they said, oh, well, you know, NFTs are like the cryptocurrency of trading cards. Oh, okay. But now it's like, NFTs are the cryptocurrency of trading cards. It's like, ah, get away from me. But uh, anyway, so uh, Michael Rubin from Fanatics says, over the past year, it has become clear that NFTs are unlikely to be sustainable or profitable as a standalone business. That came right on the heels of them trying to distance themselves from their own NFT company that they basically partnered with to be the Fanatics version of that. I think they divested themselves of something like 60% of their shares or something. It was some crazy like that, but essentially walking away from it. And you look around and there were all these NFT announcements. I mean, heck, was it six, eight months ago? Maybe nine months ago now. We made the announcement about eBay partnering with Wayne Gretzky to do their first set of NFTs. Yeah, that's right. Where the heck are those? Upper Deck was talking about they were going to have a line of NFTs called Evolution. Yeah, haven't really heard much about that. That's DOA. The NHL partnered with Sweet a long time ago to do their NFTs. They basically took all the NHL licensing and the NHL PA license and teamed up with these guys. I went earlier to the website that those are supposed to be on, and it's still the same landing page as it was when they first announced it with the button that says sign up to receive updates so there's been nothing i mean there's really been nothing and like i said i don't know if we can say that it's dead per se but when you have the great and powerful oz of fanatics coming out and saying yeah we're kind of walking back from that because it can't work by itself there's something going on obviously Well, it's in Fanatic's interest to sell as many trading cards as it can to as many different people as it can. And the thing is is that NFTs, a lot of people don't get them, like they don't understand them. And they're also about exclusivity, right? So I buy an NFT for $5,000 and I'm the only one who can have it. Okay, great. You made $5,000 on selling me a JPEG or ping or GIF or whatever graphic file you want to say it really is but would you rather sell one card for five thousand dollars or would you rather sell a pack of cards for three dollars to a million people i mean duh that's three million dollars i'd rather make three million dollars selling a bunch of three dollar packs than 
you know, oh, great, we sold this NFT for $20,000 and Sal's the only person who owns it. And ooh, isn't he cool? Isn't he great? And most of the people say, you know what? The emperor has no clothes. Well, it's all about perspective because when it comes to a business, money now is better than money later. And if you can, if you can blow the whole thing in one fail swoop, that's much easier to do than taking a million swoops at it to get the same result. That's one scenario. The other scenario is if you do sell to those million people, how many more of those are going to be repeat customers? Because well, even if half of them are, that's great. Even if 10% of them are. If you get 10% out of that, you still have 100,000 people, right? And, you know, that that 100,000 people may turn into 20 times what you got off of that single transaction. And here's the other thing, too, is look at like what happens when people post their hits on Twitter or on Instagram or whatever. When they say, hey, I bought a box of Upper Deck Series 1 and I got a Maddie Beneers Young Gun. And then people go, oh, man, I really want a Maddie Beneers Young Gun. And they go and they buy a hobby box and they hope to get one, right? Because they see what you have and they say, I want that, too. I'm going to try and get that, right? And that's what fuels this sort of thing. I mean, I couldn't believe how many people not named Sal Barry, got a Moritz Sider young gun last year. And I bought so much series two, I'm embarrassed to say. I lost count of how many mega boxes and tins that I bought, and even hobby boxes. But whatever. The thing is, is I'd see other people get it. I want that card too. I'm going to try my hand at trying to get that card and I'll buy a box, right? But if you show off an NFT, I can't have it because you have it. You know, if there's five of them or 10 of them, that was the idea is that, there was a limited amount of them. It wasn't like, oh, we're going to print NFT. Well, print, finger quotes, print. See, I'm doing what you do with the finger quotes. Mm-hmm. We're going to print 5,000 NFTs. It's like, well, yeah, that's called top skate, <laughs> right? I mean, if you're doing that many of them, yeah, it's just a full digital product. Well, that's the thing, though, is that they're not. If it's like, I own this card and I'm the only person who owns this card. And oh, by the way, it's a digital card. You can't say, oh, well, I want to buy that card too. Here's my $5,000 or $10,000. I will also buy that card. You can't do that. You could try to buy it from me, but you can't buy it from the company that sold it. I mean, I get it. Is it better to make one $1 million sale or a million $1 sales? And the argument both ways, but one argument is that those people who spend $1, the million people, Half of them will come back and spend another dollar. And then you got 1.5 million. And then their kids will spend a dollar and their friends will spend a dollar. And some people will drop off and come onto it. But if you sell a $1 million NFT, and I don't think any of them ever sold that high, you've got a very limited amount of people. And sure, you're going to make a million dollars off of that. But who else is going to buy it then? Nobody else can buy it, right? And how many people can afford that sort of thing? So again, this goes back to my whole theory of, People didn't understand it, and it was a little too exclusive. Yeah. I'm not going to be able to buy it from you, but when you send me a picture of it and say, hey, look what I got, I'm just going to screenshot the picture and pretend like I have it. No, no, right, no right-clicking. Not allowed. Uh, Can't that's that. okay. I got a nice clipping tool here on my desktop. Solves that see, problem. Did you see the South Park pandemic special where it was like them in the future and um, Butters was telling people to buy NFTs? 
sorry, to invest in NFTs. I did not see that. Oh my God, that was a great episode where he was like telling people, oh, you need to invest in NFTs. And they're like, you mean we need to buy NFTs? No, no, you need to invest in NFTs. And he's like, you don't buy them, you get people to invest in them. I can't remember now because this was like a year ago, but I, I was just cracking the hell up because it was just so funny. And he'd say things like pump and dump, which we know what that is, and no right-clicking and, you know, right-click to save an image and whatnot. Check it out. We got to finish the show, though, and we got to finish it with 2021-22 Skybox Metal Universe, which I'm glad it's coming out for another year. I really liked last year's set. Of course, I like the set from the 90s. We did a whole episode about the Skybox Metal sets and the think one year it was metal and the next year it was metal universe with all the crazy explosions and atoms and nucleuses and planets and giant plants and flying eyeballs and stuff like that and last year's release was a little bit tamer just had them on like a space background although there were retro inserts that had like planetary backgrounds and they're doing the same this year the standard cards will have a space background which is Kind of nice, you know, like, oh, I get it. They're in space, right? Sharks in space or penguins in space or whatever, right? And then you have, like, the retro parallels that have, like, a planet in the background or something. Of course, those are the ones that I like better. And, of course, those are the ones that you don't get in every single pack. So, once again, the insert set is what I wish the base set was. But, oh, well. Uh, yeah, speaking of the inserts. I mean, the the sell sheets and stuff have been out for this for a while, but the checklist just came out. I mean, Um, I'm aware of some of the inserts. I mean, I'll just ramble off a few and then you could talk about which ones you want to in depth. There was Big Man on the Ice, Ice Carvings, Jambalaya, Neon Icon, and then the 97-98 retros were the ones that kind of caught my attention. Yeah, Platinum Portraits is back in there. Jambalaya has been around in pretty much every release, so that's nothing new. The ice carvings are kind of cool. I'd like to see what those like actually feel like. Well, the I ice carvings like gonna... look look like they're a holographic background with like print on the front. And I loved that. You had some upper deck sets in the 90s that did that. I think the Can-Am rookies from 92, 93 upper deck did that. And I know there was like a couple other sets that did that where you had like a holographic background, but then you had like printed on it i don't mean like hollow foil i mean like hologram in the background we'll see probably not going to be a hologram well and the only reason why i don't think it will be is because it's on acetate ah there you go yep that's it then so i think what it's good as ice yeah i think what it's going to be is more of like a maybe something like etched in a middle layer of the acetate i don't know like i said it'll be interesting to see i want to see what the metal picks look like i haven't seen those yet but they basically are the shape of a guitar pick. I don't know what they look like. I haven't seen them yet. But the, you mentioned the big man on ice. Those are interesting. Well, <laughs> if they're die cut, they're going to be interesting. They're going to be hard to keep um, in nice shape. Yeah. From the looks of things, they look to be die cut. But they're also that kind of 90s style, almost graffiti looking type. Kind of like the upper deck. What was the set this year they had? The insert set. I called them the Fresh Prince of Bel Air cards. These ones are similar to that. And honestly, they did give a Patrick Kane mock-up of it. I almost think that the background design with that logo makes the player disappear like into the background. 
I don't know if the other colors maybe will be different, but uh, it's interesting. Oh, freestyles. Freestyles, that's it. Freestyles in 22-23 Upper Deck Series 1 Hockey. And yeah, they had that graffiti kind of background. Uh, also kind of reminds me of Noise Boys from uh, Fleer Retro, how it had like the background was text and it was kind of die cut, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think they're more geared towards like if you remember the Z Force. I think there was Big Man on Court. It was the basketball yep. set. Yep, that's pretty close to what these are kind of modeled after, I think. But metal's always a popular set, um, even to this day. I mean, the Metal Universe set with uh, Alexei on the front of the cover. Heck blaster boxes of that are still selling for 40 50 bucks and they really shouldn't be but so. uh, whatever i mean i'll say this really quick so there's 100 base cards so this is similar to last year's sorry whatever the previous year's release the 2021 release which had 100 base cards 50 all-star cards and 50 rookie cards and the all-stars and the rookies were short printed and i think this year it's still 100 base cards 100 short prints, 50 of them are alternate jersey cards, and the other 50 are rookies. So instead of saying, okay, here's 50 guys in all-star jerseys, although they didn't quite have 50 all-stars, so I know they had like a Shea Weber, if I remember correctly, in his Canadiens jersey, but maybe that was like from the skills competition or something, because it was definitely like the all-star themed short prints, because there were only like 44 all-stars, so they had to like fill out the other six or whatever with something but this year it's going to have players in the alternate jerseys i don't know if i like that it's just like okay so what it's Connor mcdavid in a different jersey Sidney crosby in a different penguins jersey not an all-star jersey maybe an all-star jersey we don't know but i liked it better when they followed a theme like okay here are 44 all-stars and we could kind of figure out the way to get to the last six cards, have team photos, have the MVP, et cetera, et cetera. And then you get your 50 all-stars and then you get your 50 rookies. Cause that's a nice number. But the alternate Jersey thing, it's not like OPG did or MVP does or a regular upper deck does where it's a, like a short print of the regular card. Yeah. Where they sneak it's it in. Like it's additional to the set. So, like, if you look just the Penguins, for instance, because I know I pulled the checklist when I saw that it came out. There's five Penguin cards in the base set. Two of them are Sidney Crosby, number 100 and number 150. The number 100 is his regular one. The number 150 is the alternate jersey. Right. So you would have to have both to have all of them. It's not like, a, you know, this is number 100. Oh, this is the number 100 variation. Right. Um, they are separate as part of the set. So I just wanted to make that distinction these aren't short prints you're chasing it just seems kind of unnecessary well that and the fact that you've got five base cards of a team and two of them are the same guy right yeah malkin gensel crosby and jari okay well there's 20 other guys we can make a card of oh we'll just make another crosby card here's the thing though is that Maybe the set doesn't need to be 200 cards. Maybe it should be 100 cards and then 50 short printed rookies. And that would be okay. It just seems unnecessary. I like the all-star cards because I like cards of players in the all-star jerseys. I like that. This just doesn't feel... I don't know. I mean, don't knock it till you see it, but just 
at the surface level, I don't like this idea. I just don't. Also, especially when you have a short print set that's the same size as the base set. Here's 100 cards that are easy to get. Here's 100 cards that are hard to get. Where's the fun in that? That's crazy. I bought so much Skybox Metal Universe for 2021. I mean, all I bought were blaster boxes because the hobby boxes were like $300. This is a little more reasonable at launch. It's supposed to be $150 for 15 packs, and you get seven cards per pack, which is still like 10 bucks a pack, which is a lot for seven cards. But, you know, you do get autographs and stuff like that. I mean, even in the blasters, I got a couple of autographs, so it wasn't really a bad product even at retail i mean you couldn't get the super hard to get precious metal gems cards which everybody loses their shirt over both literally and figuratively yeah literally and figuratively but i don't know will i buy it of course i'm gonna buy it we can sit here and be like i hate this set are you gonna buy it yes well but that's the thing though is that like we know that there's sets that we're gonna buy because we're collectors, and that's we're what collectors, we yeah, and then we're podcasters, so then that gives us license to complain about stuff. But honestly, the only set that I probably have very little to no complaints about are Series One, Series Two, and Extended Series. You know, I might say, oh, Extended Series has too many inserts, and I'd rather have more of the whatever cards to finish the base set. Okay, that's a reasonable complaint. I mean, some people might say there's not enough inserts, right? I mean. You might complain about OPG, but you're still going to buy it because that appeals to you. I'm going to complain about Skybox Metal Universe, but I'm still going to buy it because it appeals to me. So I've kind of come to the conclusion that I'm never going to be 100% happy with a set. But if there's enough that I like about it, I'm going to collect it because collect what you like, right? Exactly. Unless it's the wrong thing, then don't collect that. Right. But other than that, collect what you like. Unless I think it's wrong. And then I'm going to virtue signal and gatekeep and tell you you're wrong yeah but other than that collect what you like (laughs) is that that a good way to describe it i guess i don't know now should i feel self-conscious that i've been working on a set of pro set little mermaid cards from 91 really don't think this was the venue to be telling people that but you said collect what you like but then you said unless you don't like it do you like that no i mean do you one day i'm gonna own every pro set card (laughs) the thing is is that i just can't bring myself to spend money on a set of young Indiana Jones Chronicles cards. Or like, remember they had the world records or was it Ripley's believe it or not, or some nonsense. Like mm-hmm. they had a lot of cards that I just didn't care about. Now, does that having every pro set card include the reboot with leaf? No, cause that's impossible. Okay. That's really hard to do. Yes. Your base set that you get in a blaster box. That was easy. And there's parallels and those would be, easy enough to come by you know if just gonna spend maybe five ten bucks a card but like all the autographs and all the jersey variations and stuff no i don't know kidding aside though i mean non-sports cards i like them but i've kind of gotten to the point where i've actually started thinning out my collection including my non-sports cards because the older you get the more you have to focus on really what you like you know and you can say i like indiana jones but I don't know if I need this trading card set of it anymore. Yeah, I like him, but I don't like him like him. Right. Uh, well, back another, to what we were saying about yeah. Metal Universe, just so people have an idea, this is supposed to come out on the 11th, which I think we said that. 
there's pre-sales that have been going on with most of the major sellers out there. Hobby boxes pre-selling at 149.95 or 99 or 148 or 151. Just say 150. So they're right about 150. Yeah. Which is interesting because 2021 Metal Universe were about 160. When? At, at pre-sale. Were they? I thought yes. they were up to like three bills for a box at one time. At pre-sale, they were 160. When they went live, all of a sudden the value shot up. Thank you. Okay. I knew I didn't imagine that. Yes. So I don't know if we're going to see the same thing here, but if the casual collectors out there are going to be like you and say that they're going to buy all of this from every place that they find it, then yeah, that 149 will quickly become 349. <laughs> so, you know, we'll see. I mean, you're, you got arguably a better rookie class in this grouping. So with Caulfield and Zegras and Cider and, and yeah, I mean, people could make the argument, you know, where you had Caprice off the year before and Lafreniere. Well, yeah, okay. I still say this is a better overall class right now. That could pan out later, as we all know. Keep your rookie cards for four years and you never know what you have on your hands. Sometimes you have to. As we said, collecting is a marathon, not a sprint, and it's a long game, you know? Absolutely. I mean, how many people had Tage Thompson rookie cards that were just hanging out in a collection? Right, exactly. Well, if they did and they hung on to them, well, now they're happy that they did. They didn't throw them in the 50-cent box or whatever. Worth billions and billions of pennies. All right, I think we should wrap it up. Any last thoughts? No, I don't have any last thoughts. Other than I'm still waiting for them to bring back food releases for hockey that aren't McDonald's or Tim Hortons. Like what, Gatorade and stuff like that? Yep. I was thinking about that this week as I was looking at stuff. I'm like, man, there are not entirely enough oddball and food sets anymore. We should do a show on those one of these days. We should. Well, if you'd like us to do a show about oddball and food issue sets, leave a comment, tweet us, or message us however you do. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. I'm sometimes on Instagram. Tim isn't, but that's okay. He's I have one post on there, okay? all right well thank you for listening to the puck junk hockey podcast if you've enjoyed this show please be sure to like and subscribe if you have a few minutes please leave us a review if you listen to us on spotify leave us a review or a rating on spotify same if you listen to this on apple itunes music or on google play or wherever you get your podcast take a moment to rate this show and write a review if you can and until next time collect what you like for more hockey goodness follow us on twitter at puck junk